Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today we are joined by Dr. Julian E. Bales, Chair of the Department of Neurosurgery at North Shore Medical Group and a surgeon specializing in spinal disorders, brain disorders, and neoplasm, who is currently bringing his expertise to local patients via the Clark here in Andersonville. We are excited to jump into this conversation with Dr. Bales to learn more about cutting edge treatments in the industry, his time spent as an NFL physician and his expertise in the field surrounding brain injury, particularly with concussions. Welcome, Dr. Bales. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We're really so excited to have you here. Can you start off with telling us a little bit about your history with Chicago? Are you a native or did you grow up somewhere else? I grew up in Louisiana. I'm a Louisiana native, born and raised there. And I went to LSU and I went to med school at LSU in New Orleans. And then uh, my only criteria after that is I wanted to go north. I wanted to go to where it wasn't hot and humid and you're sweating all day long. And I wanted to go to the big city. So I got accepted at Northwestern University to train. Uh, the neurosurgery training program there was always uh, one of the best in the country. So I was fortunate to get in. And that's where I did the uh, majority of my training. I did some more after that, but that was what brought me to Chicago. And what drew you to the medical field and specifically, you know, being a, a brain surgeon? Well, I, I really, it was process of elimination. I had no potential talent in any other field. So I uh, liked science and, and that was the only thing I was really attracted to. So I decided to go to med school and then medical school i think you see the the class starting to segregate from the beginning uh, the surgeon types and the non-surgeon types so the non-surgeons are the pediatricians and the psychiatrists and the internist and and then the surgeons are are the ones that want to try to take action and pick something right with our hands at least that's what we think and uh, i was more in that category and and the more i learned the more i loved about it did you ever consider uh, surgery of a different kind or was your focus always on brain and spine? I, I didn't. I get asked that question sometime and I, I believe that, you know, you're probably drawn to the kind of surgery of whatever organ of the body you like. If you love the heart, I guess you want to be a heart surgeon, thoracic surgeon. And for me, it was the brain and its functions and the frontiers that we faced then and continue to face today. It was more uh, loving the the organ that you want to work on. Well, recently, um, you know, nearby Swedish Hospital was acquired by North Shore Medical Group. Um, and how long have you been practicing with the group? And why do you like this particular medical community? Well, I've been here about nine years, and my practice was in the Pittsburgh area before I came back here nine years ago. And uh, it really has been. Uh, uh, great to be affiliated to be a part of North Shore and North Shore has expanded recently to six hospitals and one of them of course was Swedish and uh, there are two excellent neurosurgeons full-time there Dr. Andrew Johnson, Dr. Dan Leish and enjoy working with them but we have a big group we have in our total department about 23 physicians some are physical medicine rehabilitation doctors the others are neurosurgeons and we have an excellent uh, mixture and excellent coverage of every subspecialty, every part of brain and complex spine surgery we can take care of. So 
uh, our ability to serve Swedish Andersonville, the community there is certainly uh, present through the two neurosurgeons that are full-time in Swedish and in a, in a broader sense, our extended group. And have you specifically done any work with patients who are affiliated with the Clark? I know that's sort of, the Clark's been in the Andersonville area for several years now. So we've been lucky to meet a lot of the doctors there. We've even had um, a, a couple of folks from the Clark on this podcast before. Um, so have you, have you been able to work directly with that specific uh, clinic? Well, the Clark is an outstanding facility and great doctors there. So yes, we have worked some, some with them and uh, are always available 24-7 if there's urgent or emergent uh, issues to take care of. We take care of all the strokes in the area there. And a lot of those are transferred to Evanston Hospital where our stroke intervention team is available with clot busting drugs and catheters, which can pull clots out of the brain to relieve a stroke. So um, yeah, we, we really enjoy working with the Clark and its physicians, as well as all the ones on staff there at Swedish, which is an outstanding medical staff. And I'm curious, you know, um, for you to kind of walk us through the changes that you've seen kind of throughout your career um, in terms of, of treatment. Um, you know, you are currently actively using a leading edge treatment called the gamma tile treatment. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about that and how and how treatments in general have evolved over, over your career. Um, my One of my main interests is uh, brain tumor surgery. I primarily do brain surgery and, and uh, brain tumors have always been an important part of that, of that realm of brain surgery. And people get them not infrequently. Uh, roughly half are benign and the other half are cancerous or malignant. And for the tumors that are malignant, uh, we've really not made tremendous progress uh, the last 20, 30 years, believe it or not. They're removed uh, to the extent that they can safely be, and then the patient often has to have uh, radiation or chemotherapy afterwards. Depending on the location, how much we can get out with that initial surgery uh, really helps to determine how long they can live with that condition. Many times they do live for several years and sometimes longer, and sometimes we can effectively cure them. Uh, for those that uh, are, have the most difficult tumor called a glioblastoma, we're very excited. We were the first department in the uh, in the Midwest, actually, certainly first in Chicago, to use gamma tile. Gamma tile is small wafers of radioactivity, which after the tumor is removed, they're left behind the, in the walls of the cavity where the tumor used to be, and they emit their radiation over about uh, 55 days or so, and then they are spent. They are done with emitting their radiation. So as we take a tumor out, we always worry about are there microscopic cells left behind and those uh, then need some way to be treated and they recur right at the, at the border, at the margin of the cavity. And that's where we put them and shown in the initial studies to prolong life by double or even triple. So we're very excited about getting more experience with that and uh, helping patients with uh, this sort of technology 
We have excellent neuro-oncology brain tumor program. Dr. Ryan Merrill uh, is a neurologist who specializes in brain tumor management. He has office hours at Swedish and uh, he's uh, the best in the city in my, my opinion. And he can tailor the treatment and recommendations for therapy uh, through his expertise. Uh, we, we have a radiation oncologist. We have a whole team of uh, providers that are brought to bear when someone has a brain tumor. And of course, without going into particular details, is there a success story that you're able to reflect on with us of a recent surgery? Well, I, I want to believe there's more than one success. There are a lot of successes. And uh, for brain surgery, you, you know, we really have made a lot of advances overall in the last decade or two decades. And uh, believe it or not, it's very safe and it's very unusual for someone to die. But uh, we really want to maximize the amount that we can remove, the extent of removal. Uh, it's got to be done safely, but we also want to be effective in that process and to, to get it out and then to see what other treatments we can have. So we have had uh, certainly many, many patients who've had a complete resection. We were able to completely remove it and or they've had radiation through a radiation oncologist or a chemotherapy or gamma dial therapy. So we have quite a few that have really done well, and most of them do. We're trying to push that envelope for getting them to live many years. You know, and then in terms of kind of like overall brain health, like if someone, you know, if someone, you know, comes in with, you know, either a, a malignant or benign brain tumor, what, you know, symptoms wise, what do they normally present with? What, what should folks look out for? Um, because it's one of those things that, that, that's harder to track and, and, you know, um, it's not something, you know, you're not in terms of exercising your brain or your heart or something like that. It's a different kind of, you know, um, organ. Well, um, the majority of the symptoms have to do with the location of the tumor in the brain. So if it's near the movement part of the brain, it can cause weakness or profound weakness or even paralysis on the other, other side of the body. If it's near the speech area, uh, it can affect the ability to understand or, or talk. Uh, if it's near the vision area, the occipital lobes in the back of the brain, it can affect vision, peripheral vision. Uh, sometimes it can affect memory. Uh, in the frontal lobes, it can affect uh, processing and executive function. So it really all depends on the location as to what symptoms they have. Now, a lot of them end up having headaches because when the tumor gets to be a certain size, then it causes swelling and that can cause headaches. But people should know that the vast majority of adults who start having headaches do not have a brain tumor, probably one or two percent only. Uh, patients will worry about that and I uh, can't blame them. But uh, most of the time, it's not a brain tumor, but your physician may very often get a scan because that's cost effective and it really helps us to get to the bottom of the issue right away if someone's having headaches, which are not typical and go on too long to make sure that the brain structurally is okay and there's nothing wrong. So we're hoping we can talk to you, Dr. Bales, a little bit more about your work with concussions. Can you kind of break it down for us and our listeners? What happens to the, 
the brain upon severe impact and what leads to a concussion. So concussions have, uh, they used to be uh, seemingly not so important and not talked about, but they came into the uh, forefront a few years ago. So when I, when I left Chicago, I did some more training in Phoenix, and then I got called by a very prominent neurosurgeon if I wanted to work with him in Pittsburgh. And I said, why would anybody want to live in Pittsburgh? And he said, well, if you do, uh, the Rooney family was one of the first, they were the owners of the Steelers to want to have a neurosurgeon in addition to an orthopedic doctor on the sideline for every game. So they were ahead of their time. So I said, that sounds like good as reason as any to move there. So I did. So I worked as a team physician, went to all the games for the Pittsburgh Steelers for over a decade. And then uh, we started to realize that concussions weren't as we were taught in our training, which was concussion doesn't injure the brain. It's just not working right for a period of time. We realized it was more than that and that concussions could have long lasting effects and they could be certainly game ending or season ending, but then we didn't really plan. We didn't think that they could have long-term lifetime effect. And that turned out to be the case. And can you tell us a little bit more about your time with the Steelers? Did you see a lot of concussions? Were you treating any other types of injuries? Well, yeah, I, I taught, I, I, uh, I saw uh, all sorts of injuries, whether it was uh, brain, spine, peripheral nerves, anything to do with the nervous system, we saw it. And uh, the game is not played it quite as rough right now as it used to be. So we saw quite a few injuries. What surprised us was that, in certain number of cases, concussion effects did not seem to go away. And then it, it was also appeared to accrue or add up that people could have concussion symptoms that didn't go away. And worst of all, could lead to brain degeneration, dementia, Alzheimer type symptoms. And that syndrome as it was figured out in the 2000s uh, became known as CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And what are some of the symptoms that people experience from a concussion, um, you know, especially a, a, a traumatic one that would maybe occur on the football field? Well, the, the concussion has had a lot of confusing aspects. One is that uh, most of the time, probably 95% of the time, the athlete is not knocked out. He, he or she is not unconscious. So they're walking and talking and, and there's usually no outward or objective sign of injury. There's no bleeding or swelling or, or twisted uh, limb. And so that was always part of the problem in identifying who has a concussion. And the symptoms could be very subtle. They could be confusion. They could be disorientation, balance issues. Um, the player just feeling in a fog, not feeling right. And so the nebulous nature, the, the indefinite, subtle nature of the symptoms also led to not only uh, not diagnosing them, but led to uh, uh, confusion and, and misinterpretation by physicians and trainers and the players themselves. So a lot of work has been done the last two 10 or 15 years to understand that better. And we used to, in those days, if a player was felt to have a concussion, we would observe them on the sideline 
And if they were thought to have cleared and, quote, gotten back to normal, we'd let them go back in the same game or practice. And that was customary back then. But we know now that uh, if, if you suspect a concussion, then that player is done for that day. He or she cannot go back to playing football or soccer or whatever their contact sport is. So um, I was curious about then, you know, you know, with sports recommendations and children playing sports and, and if you had any kind of guidance um, for, for parents that might have, um, you know, a budding football player that, that, you know, where they're still playing, you know, instead of touch football, they're playing tackle football still and, and what to look out for with, with small kids and, and, you know, traumatic brain injuries. Well, more than ever, the, the play of football has been curtailed with head trauma, head impact. And, uh, you know, it's not just the number of concussions, it's the number of head impacts. And so the move starting 10 years ago was to begin to take head contact out of the game. As hard as that has been and and as difficult as that was for many fans, because that was part of the play and, and that getting jacked up was a great allure to the to the fans. We all liked it. We didn't realize that at that time there was the potential for brain injury. So the number one thing to me is if if uh, young athletes want to play and if their parents agree, and if the player is, say, middle school or older, uh, I think it's safe to play. Uh, they need to know that the coach in the athletic league that they're in takes this seriously and they avoid unnecessary head contact. They don't do head contact in practice. They don't hit defenseless players and that the league they play in respects that and enforces those rules. If the player understands concussions, how they occur by hitting your head on another player on the ground, knows what the symptoms are, knows how to report them and the importance of reporting them and not, not laboring in a, in a macho attitude, but coming forth with the symptoms, uh, then I think it's safe to play. Uh, the coach has to be on board. The style of play and practice has to be, as I said, and uh, if they have a concussion or a suspect concussion, then I think it has to really be evaluated if, if that's the right sport for them. So one concussion often is uh, overcome. A second one or more uh, should lead to a pause and consideration. But if the parents and the coaches in the league and the player are all on the same page and they understand how they occur, what the symptoms are, then I think that most of the time they can safely play. So we know that you were portrayed by a, a famous Hollywood actor in, in the movie Concussion. Alec Baldwin played you. And can you just tell us how that went? What was that experience like? Did you have a hand in some of Alec's character development as he was playing you as an expert in the concussion and brain injury field? Well, you know, I, I got a call from Peter Landisman, who, who wrote the script and directed the movie, uh, you know, a year before it came out as, as the production began. And he told me the plans and, and so forth. I believe at first I said, I don't want to be involved because, uh, you know, everybody's mad at us for saying there's brain injury in football and and players don't like it and coaches don't like it. The NFL didn't like it. Nobody was happy with us. 
But he went on to tell me they really wanted to delve into the science of what occurred. So it was clear they were going to make it with or without my cooperation. So I cooperated and I was proud at the end that it's a good movie. It was not rated R and anybody can watch it. And there's a lot of science and there's a lot of medicine of how this occurs. And uh, it's uh, hopefully entertaining plus educational. Um, in terms of uh, Mr. Ball, and I didn't pick him, I, I was assigned him and, uh, you know, was uh, honored that he took on the role and, and played it. And I'll say he was very professional and spent a lot of time studying it and reading about it. I was very impressed with that. At the end, kind of wanted to do it himself. He at times had a really, I don't know if it was quite accurate Southern accent because I've lost my Southern accent decades ago, but he knew my origins and tried to insinuate that in there. And uh, he was very, very thorough in his preparation. You know, he had in his mind how he wanted to play it. That really got into it. The movie is filmed primarily in Pittsburgh because this came out of, uh, again, the Pittsburgh Steelers experience. They had three of the first four cases of CTE in football that we discovered. Laura, have you seen the movie Concussion? I have not yet. Have you checked it out, Joelle? I think I have, because um, all of this is sounding very familiar. And as I was sort of reading up and prepping these notes for you, Dr. Belson. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie, but I feel like now I want to go back and, and make sure I experience it again, having met you face-to-face, -face, at least virtually for now. Mm. You'll, yeah, you'll, I, enjoy, you'll enjoy it. It's a good movie. I, after I got saw Dr. Bales, I definitely went and I said, I, I told my husband, we have to watch this movie. And it really is educational and, um, you know, entertaining at the same time. It's good. And and Margie, will you introduce yourself and um, just so our listeners know who you are? Oh, I'm Margie, and I am the physician liaison for um, growth and referrals for Swedish Hospital. So I work with Dr. Bales to promote him within the physician community so that they know that he is a resource for um, referrals that uh, they may need. Don't worry, Margie, this is not the first time we've like surprised listeners with extra guests who are in the wings. <laughs> I want to, I'm curious to know if you learned anything from the movie that you didn't know before that, um, that if, if it kind of, you know, brought, brought something new to light about, about concussions in general, that, that maybe, you know, were not known well, to you. We, I always knew they were serious, but I guess yeah. it really brought to the forefront as to the long-term ramifications of what concussions really can do to a person. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, to Dr. Bale's point, like when you don't, when you don't have visible symptoms, when you don't have bleeding, when you don't have that sort of thing, it's sort of like, oh, shake it off. You just hit your head. You're fine. Um, you know, I know I, I've had one concussion from falling down the stairs in my life and, you know, a lot can happen from it. Um, I remember going to work the next day um, and I don't know if Joel, you remember this, but I was couldn't focus on anything like you can't focus on your screen or anything like that. So it's it's a very serious thing to, to have happen. All I know for sure is Anyone who visits the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce offices needs to, needs to be very careful of our staircase because, yes, injuries have happened there, but hopefully no further concussions. But yes, I know that was a difficult time. I have not personally experienced one, and I hope to never to, but have had several uh, family members who are athletic skiers 
unfortunately, who have experienced concussions. So it's definitely, definitely a scary, but um, so thankful that people like you, Dr. Bales, exist to, to treat those. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can do. You know, the primary form of treatment is the brain has to heal. So recognizing it's the first step. So right. thank you exactly. for thank you for those tools. Um, so we know that due to COVID, people are sort of choosing at this point to delay medical treatments out of fear of contracting the virus. And we hope certainly as the months continue, that fear continues to um, dissipate a bit. But do you have any advice for folks who are currently in this position where the recommendation is from their doctor that they seek treatment for a serious condition? And can you tell us a little bit about how North Shore is handling protocols both for safety in office visits and in the surgical room? Well, in, in general, uh, you know, we're into this maybe 11 months now. We have not had an issue with patients coming in and contracting COVID-19 in the hospital. So if they came in for surgery or office visit, uh, there, I'm sure, were a small number, a handful of cases. Uh, but none really that I know of. And so we didn't know at first. We we knew it was could be severe, it was highly transmissible, but we didn't know what the surgery experience or the hospital experience would be like in terms of quote, giving it to them. And that has not been the case. Um, you know, people more often get it at, at home or a home setting and a close setting. That's probably the most common Way, way it's transmitted, uh, often between family members. The advice that, that we have uh, would be to certainly follow guidelines for patients coming in. We don't want them in our offices. They shouldn't come in our offices or the hospital if they're symptomatic, unless it's an urgent or emergent problem. We depend heavily on testing. Uh, we have begun to uh, uh, vaccinate quite a, quite a number of the frontline medical staff workers. And now, uh, depending on what, what uh, distribution we get of the vaccine from the state, um, people over 65 and so forth. So uh, we have not had any real issue with uh, people coming in and being treated for something they needed to have done. So I would encourage uh, any listener to talk to their physician about that if there's something that's urgent or important, uh, I would not hesitate to have the treatment and the protocols of testing before they come in, quarantining after the testing, and it has proved very, very effective. All right, so we did not send these to you in advance, but we like to sort of wrap each episode with a few rapid fire questions. They're just supposed to be quick. Um, first thing that comes to your brain, answers. So are you ready to kind of do a few of these with us? I guess. Yes. Sure. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite surgical tool? Um, surgical microscope, probably. And is that the one that kind of has the long little lens that you can feed up into different areas? Well, not exactly. Uh, that That's more of an endoscope. Uh, okay. But a microscope is uh, we do every Every surgery we do is magnified, sometimes up to 25 times. So there are different ways to magnify with different scopes. But the, bu the bulk of the work for us is done through a, a rigid floor-mounted floor uh, microscope. And that's the, 
that's the work hard what we do. So that's probably my favorite tool. Very cool. Um, and, you know, and I know we, and we are touching about your, about your history. Uh, you know, you said that this was the career choice for you, but if you weren't a surgeon, um, is there another path that, you know, that you know of now that you might've wanted to take? Could you go back or start afresh now? Probably I w- would, would be a football coach. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes do, a lot do, of sense. <laughs> do, would you be offensive or defensive? <laughs> I play defensive, so probably defensive. And what's your favorite pastime when you're not working? Uh, I guess trying to do something physical and work out and, you know, either run or, or uh, other forms of aerobic activity or, or uh, exercise. Uh, I play golf because I have kids that play, but I don't play it very well. It's too difficult, but, uh, you know, it gets me outside. So probably golf and exercises. And then, you know, we touched on, the, you know, how the hospital has kind of responded um, during COVID. But how has, you know, the, curve, the current COVID climate affected you personally, um, you know, over the past 11 months? Well, you know, we spent a lot of time with a lot of good leadership at North Shore in establishing our protocols and, and methods for taking care of patients. Um, for what we do with brain surgery and tumors and strokes, it really has not diminished our work that much because these are what we call urgent or emergent operations. They, they have to go on, they have to be treated. So it does not affect what we do in neurosurgery is not really elective for the most part. So it hasn't affected us that much more and just the procedural side of things. And do you have a favorite activity or pastime to do in the city of Chicago specifically? Or pre-COVID or or in COVID? um, Let's go with both, because I know everyone's sort of switching up their routines, obviously, the last year. Well, you know, pre-COVID, you know, I would enjoy uh, going to eat downtown and being in the city. Uh, but uh, post-COVID, I, I believe that uh, we don't do that, and so it's more outdoor activities. We certainly hope you can get out and explore Anderson a little bit when you feel comfortable. We're a really uh, fun district if you're nearby and easy to walk around and kind of take in all the local businesses. I, I, I would. I plan to, yes. And how about some advice for aspiring surgeons kind of looking to specialize in the spine or brain? What, what advice do you have? And what, you know, you had, you had mentioned briefly the kind of characteristics of, of the fields that, that, you know, people in the medical, medical profession go in, um, you know, what, what kind of qualities does, does a brain or a spine surgeon have? Well, first of all, you remember I mentioned you have to love the organ you're operating on. So yep. that's probably number one. For neurosurgery, you have to enjoy working with your hands and your fingers, uh, doing fine work and uh, work microscopically. So you work magnified. Um, you have to lead a good, clean life or you'll develop a tremor if you don't don't. Uh, avoid vices and uh, you have to be on the straight and narrow. No, I'm kidding. You can still do those things, but you just have to be careful. 
um, uh, you, you know, you have to be dedicated to it. In neurosurgery, you have to be interested and willing to take care of people with serious problems and, and sometimes cancer and sometimes stroke, accidents, trauma, paralysis. So you, have, you can't have an aversion to that. So those are the key criteria, I think, that makes a good neurosurgeon. And, um, you know, hopefully Alec Baldwin doesn't listen to this podcast, but if you could cast someone different than Alec Baldwin as you, do you have, do you have a top contender? If there's a, that's, there's that's another a, movie about you? That's a very good question. I hadn't thought about that. I was just trying to still get through him doing it. <laughs> uh, Matthew McConaughey was someone who was suggested before it was decided on Alec Baldwin. And he's okay, but people have said that, you know, we look more alike and so forth. Uh, so I, I don't know. I was not a big movie guy prior to that. Still still aren't. But, uh, um, you know, again, it was uh, an honor for him to portray, the, portray me and for the work that we did and labored under for quite a few years was brought out to the forefront and hopefully uh, made a contribution. And do you do you happen to watch any other medical TV shows or anything like that? I I, I started watching Grey's Anatomy. From... Grey's Anatomy because my daughter made me, but uh, uh, only with her. So I. Uh, uh, yeah, when you were talking about everyone delineating their, you know, like internists and surgeons and everything, I was going to throw out a Grey's Anatomy reference, but then my I doctor, felt like Doctor McDreamy is a neurosurgeon, right? Uh, I don't remember. I, I, I think you think show. that's true. I yeah. think he is. Dr. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know for a fact it's Dr. McDreamy. I had yeah. <laughs> now the best, um, the best show I've seen is the, the, the series, the Nick K N I C K. And I don't know where you find it. Now it was on Netflix, but I'm not sure. But I watched it a couple of years ago. That's really portrays the beginnings of modern surgery in New York city and around, around 1900. Extremely realistic, very, very uh, gripping, and that's the best I've seen. And how many, how many, how many kids do you have, Doctor Bales? Five. You have five, and what are their ages? They are seventeen to twenty-three. Okay. Any other? 20, Twenty-five. Have any remember. of them gone into the medical profession? No, or, or, no, no, nobody. Absolutely, nobody? absolutely opposed to it. Won't even talk about it. Well, hopefully, maybe some grandkids in the future might consider. Uh, I'm going to have to hold out another generation. You're right. Yeah, hold out that hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and yeah, I guess anything else you want, um, kind of our listeners to know about, you know, about your field, about you know how to how to take care of their brain. Um... Well, certainly, you, you know, uh, brain health is right up there with cardiac health and good general. Uh, common sense uh, activities, and uh, uh, it's vitally important. You don't just wake up when you're 75 and have Alzheimer's disease. It's actually forming when you're in your 30s and 40s, and so uh, you got to take good care of your, your brain as well. Good night's sleep is important. Exercise important. So all the things we hear about really are true for the major organ system. Well, thank you so much for joining us um, okay. today. We've, we've really enjoyed having you on. Um, and thank you all for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. 
For more information about Swedish Hospital, please visit SwedishCovenant.org. Um, and I'm sure you can download Concussion or watch it somewhere um, to, to, to watch, you know, Alec Baldwin play uh, Dr. Bales. So, um, and then for more information about the Clark, you can visit theclarkmed.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.